So we are in Luke chapter 6, verses 31 and 36. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm spending time on Luke because Luke is one of the great historians in the history of the world. Uh, incredible accuracy, incredible literary uh, ability. Uh, and so when Luke writes, Luke goes back and interviews first-person eyewitnesses. All right? First-person eyewitnesses. Uh, and so we see here in this story, this is Luke chapter 6, uh, verses 31 to 36. And here Jesus is speaking, effectively it's called the Sermon on the Plain. Uh, it's kind of like a reprise of the Sermon on the Mount. He did it later on the plain. Uh, and, but he's re revisiting topics that he's spoken about before. And when Jesus speaks, he speaks in a way that no earthly teacher has ever spoken. Because Jesus gives practical application to the Scripture. You know, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, when they would read the Scripture, they would just read the Word. But Jesus brings it alive because Jesus gives us practical application. How to live our lives. What do we need to do to be the kind of Christians? And so our abiding principle, our abiding principle uh, is to love and accept and affirm the lost of this world. Even when these people do not like us, do not look like us, or do not speak like us. We still have an abiding principle to lift them up and love them, to pray for them. And so if you would open your Bibles and look at Luke chapter 6, following along with me, uh, verse 31, do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom, whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full, but love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be the sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. What an incredible uh, group of verses telling us how Christ wants us to live. Do good to those who don't like you. Do good to those that hate you. Lend, give money to those that are in need. This isn't a, a commercial prescription on how to run a business. This is Christ telling you that look, be on the alert when you see people in need. Be prepared to do good and, and lend money when you see that kind of need without expecting uh, repayment. Uh, and so you see Jesus outlining a different kind of love. Uh, and, and Christ has said there, well, even sinners treat people well who treat them well. You know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. But, but to be the kind of person that treats somebody well and in love when somebody reviles you or doesn't like you uh, and, and speaks ill of you, that's a different kind of Christian faith. Now, you may say to me, John, I can't do this. I can't do this. Uh, I'm, you know, you don't know how I'm wired. Are you kidding me? I'm from New Jersey. You think this is how people in New Jersey live their lives? Come on. All right. Seriously. 
The only way you can live a life like this is that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. All right. And I want you to understand something. The moment that you accepted Jesus Christ, that you gave him your heart, that at that very moment you were sealed with the Holy Spirit and you buried your old life on a cross at that moment. Now, some of you say, well, I don't know. I, I haven't really felt that that experience yet. And I would say, well, then you need to get back on your knees and ask God to refill you, to give you the strength to understand that you have the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and the problem is this with many of us. Uh, as we walk with God, we have turned down the Spirit's experience in our hearts. You know, we, we don't really want to be that out there uh, showing people how much we are committed to God. Well, it doesn't work that way, you see. As you walk uh, with an affirmation in your life towards Jesus, every step that you take towards the cross accelerates the Holy Spirit. I can tell you that, that as I've committed my life and recommitted my life every day, the, the power of the Holy Spirit uh, continues to be in my life in ways that I never would, would expect it to be. I mean, I mean, recently I came across uh, a person who did some terrible things to me. Uh, and And when I saw this person, I walked up to him and I said to him, I want you to know that I don't harbor one whit of ill will towards you. Now, would that be the John Garippa that was practicing law in New Jersey? No. All right. Was I saved? Yes. But I would have gotten in my car and rolled over with over him if I was in New Jersey. All right. Be because here's the thing. I was saved, but I wasn't giving my heart over completely to the will of God. You understand? You're going to walk with God and have the fruit of the Spirit evidencing in your life. And so what I'm saying to you today is you have the power and the authority to live up to these verses. I don't want you to leave here today and say, hey, those were great verses, but I can't do that. Yes, you can. Jesus expects you to do this. He expects you to come into contact with people who have said bad things about you, who have been mean to you, and he expects you to extend love. Why? Because only people that live like that will attract the lost to Jesus Christ. You understand? What's going to happen is that the world sees this kind of conduct, sees this kind of person, and says, what is that? What's going on there? How can these people do that? It is the invigorating power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And they will then be drawn to Jesus Christ. Because that's what we do. We draw people to Jesus Christ. Now, one of the things that you understand here about being a Christian uh, is that Jesus is not saying that he's looking for weak, mealy mouth Christians. All right? I don't want you to think that because Jesus is, is telling you this is how he lives, that he's saying that we should be uh, weak. Turn, take a look at uh, John chapter 18. And you see your Savior here in a very interesting position. And Jesus is being questioned by the high priest. John 18, verse 22. When Jesus said this, uh, Jesus, the question, Jesus answered their question before that, verse 21. He said, why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. Jesus is responding to their question. Verse 22, when Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby struck him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? Now, can you imagine? You've just struck the face of God. Can you imagine? In verse 23, 
If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? There it is. And so you see in that the fact that Jesus, again, repudiates conduct that's, that's ill-appropriate. All right? He repudiates it. And so even as God says to us, I want you to extend love to the world, there are times, there are times uh, when, when we have to tell the truth. It's not always grace. Sometimes it's truth. And so what we want to do is basically be in a position where we are extending the love of Christ to those who are in need. We are putting other people's needs ahead of our own. And so in verse 31, Jesus tells you that just as you want others to do for you, you should do the same for them. Uh, this is the golden rule, uh, and it is this Jesus' summary of what it means to live to benefit other people. This is the code of your life, that you should go through life living this way, treating others the way you would want to be treated, uh, even when they don't treat you that way. Uh, and, and, you know, there's historical investigations of other cultures in this world uh, who will say things like, don't do to others what you don't want done to yourself. But that's not what Jesus said. It was not the negative connotation. Je Jesus made it in the positive connotation. Do unto others. Treat others. Love others. Affirm others as you would have them do to you. Uh, and this parallels Jesus' teaching uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and, and it's interesting because if you delve back into Jewish history, you can see permutations of this. Turn to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus 19. Uh, verse 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Wow. Here it is. Uh, the instructions given to the Jewish people before they will walk into the promised land. Love your neighbor as yourself. Showing up here about 1,400 years before Christ will be born. Uh, and so that was clearly in the Jewish uh, Orthodox teaching. Look also at Matthew 22. And we're going to look here at starting in verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Isn't that amazing? Right there. There it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with everything that you are. Love God in every way as, uh, that you can. And then love your neighbor as yourself. You live those two commandments. You've lived according to the will of God in your life. Uh, sometimes we really overcomplicate uh, what God wants from us. Uh, and so it's, it's important to understand this. Uh, look also now, if you would, at Romans chapter 13. We'll look, start with what, verse 8. Uh, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. All right? 
And then he continues on. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And whatever other commandments there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Uh, and this needs to be something that's emblazoned on your heart when you leave here today. This week, I want you to reflect on that uh, and to the extent that God is telling us how to live. Uh, God is teaching, Jesus here is teaching his followers. That's who he's teaching here. He's teaching his followers how to live. This is not a prescription for the world at large because the world at large doesn't have the Holy Spirit. It's only because God has given you the Holy Spirit that Jesus is elevating your life and telling you how you are to live. To live, have your name, love your neighbor as yourself, to have love surrounding us. Uh, he's not setting up a rule that people may follow and earn salvation. You're not going to earn salvation if you're not saved because you're living a, what would be called a moral life. God bless you. That's great. But the, we don't get saved because we live a moral life. We're saved because we've given our hearts to Christ Jesus. And because we've given our hearts to Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit has been poured into our hearts. That is the key. I want you to understand that. That is the key. The fact that God seals you with the Holy Spirit and then pours it into your heart because you could never live like this. You could never walk up to people that have reviled you and said terrible things about you and forgive them. You could never do that, but only with the Holy Spirit in your life you can. And this is what God is telling us. This is, this is how we are to be transformed by the saving grace of Jesus Christ and have the power to live by the golden rule. I want you to understand that. Uh, this isn't merely a lesson on teaching you the golden rule. More importantly, it's a lesson to tell you that you are empowered Right now, as you sit there, you are empowered to live that kind of life. Will you give it to him? Will you say to him, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me with your power. Allow me, Father, to be what you want me to be in every, in every way. Uh, and in verse 32 in this section, Jesus continues and expands his thought. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? If you love people that just love you back, what are you? Even sinners do that, Christ said. That's not the golden rule. Uh, that's not the kind of sacrificial love that God wants from us. The kind of sacrificial love God wants from us is that we go out into a world where people may not like us, may treat us poorly, and yet extend love. And what does it mean to extend love? It means to extend kindness, to extend compa uh, compassion, to see a need and address the need to see people who are down, and to help them out. Sometimes that means money. Sometimes that means time. And sometimes it means just affirmation and love. Seeing people who are hurting. Do you go out of your way and look to find people that are hurting? Or do you cross the other side of the street? You know, we talked about this yesterday in, our, in the message at church, uh, looking at the characteristics of Jesus. Jesus had the overarching characteristic of love, and compassion and kindness. Wherever he went, he never turned people aside. He always embraced them. 
uh, and brought them into his, his life. And that's what Jesus is telling us to do here. Now, in verse 34 in this passage, Jesus speaks about lending money to those who are in need. Now, this is a very much misunderstood passage because some people have, have interpreted this uh, to say that for as Christians in business, when we lend money to people, we don't expect to get paid back. Wrong. All right? Wrong. All right? Because then that would be the principle that Jesus says, do my will, and then I'll see you out in the curb. All right? Jesus is not giving you a commandment to put you on the curb. Jesus wants you to succeed in life, in every aspect of life, not just walking in this world, but he wants you to succeed in the gifts and talents that he's given you. And if he's given you the gifts and talents of affluence and an intellect that allows you to be good in business, God wants you to be good in business, all right? He wants you to, he wants you to live the kind of life a Christian would leave in business. But at the same time, when, when we give money, when we see people in need, we shouldn't say to people in need, I'll give you five bucks, but I expect it back on Monday. You understand? You understand? It's a very different paradigm. When you're reaching out to somebody in need and God puts that on your heart, you give them the money and you don't expect to get paid back. That's what God is teaching us here. You give them the money and you don't expect to get back. If you're in business, that's not the case. If you're in business, when, when, you, when you lend money, you do expect to get paid back. But here Jesus is talking about those truly in need. And so we need to uh, look at the paradigm here as to how Christ is teaching us. And so when we see people who are hurting, see people that are in need, God expects us to reach into our wallet and help them. He expects us to reach into our resources and help them. That's what this is about, love, help, love, reaching out to those who are desperately in need without the expectation of being paid back. This is the very definition of love. This is the attitude that Christ taught in every aspect of his life, every day of his life. Now, in light of these commands, we need to ask ourselves, uh, when was the last time I did a really good deed for someone, even secretly not looking uh, to have the favor returned? Ask yourself that question. When was the last time you did that without lifting yourself up or seeking publicity? And I have to say to you that if you say that it's been some time that you've, that you've, that's happened to you, then you need to address that issue. Because that's what God expects you to do. He expects you to reach out in the world to those who are in need and to help them, to lift them up without seeking favor for yourself or publicity for yourself. Otherwise, we're like the Pharisees, aren't they? You know, when they used to tithe, the Pharisees would have a, a tithing parade. And they would actually parade down the streets. Uh, and they would have drums. And they would be bringing their tithes to the temple. And everybody would be looking and watching. Can you imagine what that was like as they paraded down the street? You think that's how God wants us to live? You think that's what God has, how God has blessed you for that? He wants you to do it secretly. He wants you to be the hands and feet of God so that when somebody is helped or addressed and lifted up, they don't see you, they see Jesus. You understand? That's what it's about. They see Jesus Christ. That's the essence of this message. Lord, help me to be able to walk so that I can be a mirror for you. I don't need the fame. I don't need the publicity. You've saved me. 
I, all I want, Lord, is to attract other people to you. And so if you live that way, you live that kind of life, God will honor you. He will lift you up. He will bless you in such a way. And so in verse 35, Jesus summarizes this teaching by saying, Love again your enemies, do what is good, and lend expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great. Now, stop. Then your reward will be great. Let's understand something. We do what we do not expecting any great reward. We do what we do because we have been saved for eternity by the blood of Christ on the cross. And so every day of our life, all we must think about is, Lord, what can I do to thank you? What can I do to repay you, Father? How can I be your hands and feet? I'm not thinking about me building a bigger house in heaven or getting closer to the water, or having a bigger mansion? Because if you're doing that, then you've got to ask God to take that out of your heart. Because that's not how we walk. This is not a quid pro quo. God, you know, you bless me, and I'll take care of you. You understand? I mean, I laugh when I hear people say that. Even, even I laugh when I hear people make these so-called vows. Lord, I'm telling you right now, if you do this for me, I'll take care of you. I'll give all my money, I'll do this, I'll do that, and what happens? It falls flat. It falls flat because the essence of that is not within the will of God. The will of God is about total submission, about saying, Father, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to do. I'll give what you want me to give. I'll bow before you. And then what does God, Jesus say to you? Then your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High. Well, let's talk about that reward. All right? That reward takes, takes place on multiple levels. It first takes place in your heart. Because here's the thing. Do you want to be happy in this world? We did a whole sermon two weeks ago on happiness, how to be happy. And the essence was giving away what you have. Giving away. That's the essence of happiness. That when you give to others, when you lift up others, when you love others, effectively it's a boomerang that comes back into your life and you will receive the happiness of God. You will be a happy person. You will not be depressed. You will not be walking around in a fog, but instead God will be lifting you up. All right? That's the first reward that you'll get. The second reward is this. God will prosper you. Now, don't make a mistake and start thinking, ooh, yeah, I like the prosper thing because I would like a bigger house. I'd like to go on better vacations. This is right up my alley. This is what I need to No, 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 no. Look, God is going to give you what he thinks you need in order to be happy in this life. That's how we will prosper you. The last thing some of you need is a bigger house or a bigger boat because we never see you here. You know that. You would never darken the door. You'd be on that boat, all right? You'd be out on your fancy golf course. We'd never see you here, and God knows that. And so what does God do? He restricts those kinds of blessings because he recognized that for some of us, it would ruin us, all right? It would ruin us. My dad used to make this prayer constantly in public. Lord, never make me too rich or too poor. And I, and I understand as I got older what he meant by that. It used to disturb me a little bit, but, but I understood what he meant, because here's the thing. 
When you're too rich for what you really should have, there's all kinds of temptations in your life. And when you're too poor, there's a whole other set of temptations in your life. You understand? And so we bow to God and asking him for his, his perfect will. But there are rewards on the other side. Now, what do we know about these rewards? All right. Are these rewards meaning bigger mansions? All right. Closer to the water. Right. I don't think so. I think the rewards are that God will give you greater responsibility in heaven. We don't know exactly how the government of heaven operates, but we, we have an understanding based on what we've read and studied that there is a government and an order in heaven, and God dispenses people with authoritative approval, meaning that there are people who will be given responsibility in heaven to govern in some way. I don't know how it works, but that's basically what the scripture tells us. That is what I believe the good deeds will be. God will see you. He sees what you did with your life. He sees what you did with your gifts and talents. And he rewards you accordingly. So every day of your life, as you're bowing to God and walking with God and helping those who need help and loving those who may not be lovable, every day of your life that he does that, he sees this and he records it. Uh, and and someday when he sees you, he will look at you and he will say, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. So listen, not only does love mean accepting insult uh, and injustice, it means sometimes taking a financial risk on behalf of those people who need help. Yes, even taking a financial risk, reaching out for those people who need help and doing that. And so Jesus listed two incentives here uh, in terms of, of for loving one's enemies so extravagantly. And I love the way Jesus does this. Uh, first, God sees and recompenses such expressions of love. Jesus spoke about that. There's a reward. God sees it. God will reward it in heaven. Second, the disciples who love in this way will be recognized as the sons and daughters of the Most High in this world. You will be a walking poster for Jesus Christ. People will see you. They will know who you are. They will say, that's a man who I want to live like that man. What makes him so different? Well, the blood of Jesus Christ makes him so different. And so there it is. And so the, these attributes that follow when we love our enemies, first of all, is God's kindness, the very kindness of God to both the grateful and the evil. Look. God is kind right now to the ungrateful and the evil. Right now, that, that theological phrase is referred to as common grace. So what do I mean by that? I mean this. God has every reason to wipe the world out right now. Can I get an amen? You understand? He has every reason to wipe out the world right now. What's the predicate? How about Noah? How about Noah? That's the predicate. All right, take a look at what happened when God saw the evil during Noah's time and he decided to destroy the world. And so God is expressing kindness uh, to a world that doesn't deserve it. And so that's how he wants us to live because there will be a time, there will be a time when God will show his judgment. Uh, but we, in the meantime, are to live and act the way God does uh, and transform the world, transform the world by this kind of love. And, and so verse 36 in this passage reminds us to be merciful, to be merciful. 
This second godlike quality uh, is, is, is empowering us to demonstrate the mercy of God. Uh, and the Old Testament constantly, constantly uh, emphasized the fact that God was merciful. Turn to Exodus chapter 34. You know, people, people really don't understand the heart of God. They don't understand the heart of God. Uh, and it's our job to, to uh, make sure that we do that. Look at Exodus 34, verse, verse 6. And he passed, this is God now, and he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of their fathers to the third and fourth generation. That's not saying that people get punished because of the sins of their father. What it means is that people that live sinful lives have a legacy of sin. The father sins, the son sins, the grandparents sin, and that's what happens. And so God does eventually punish. But he's long-suffering. This verse is amazing. Look at the compassionate, gracious, kind God that you have, that he allows this world to continue to exist when, in fact, uh, anything but should take place. Look also at Deuteronomy chapter 4. Again, this is right before they go uh, into the promised land. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 31. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your forefathers, which he confirmed to them by oath. Look at that. Look at the promise there that you see that. And so Jesus' expectations of his disciples are breathtaking. This is what he expects from us. This is how he wants us to live. Uh, and it goes back to his original covenant with the Jewish people. I am a gracious, kind, merciful God. That's the message that we have to bring to the world. Now, I want to show you the other side of this, and the other side of this, that what happens when we don't treat others, that you don't, we don't treat others uh, as we would want to be treated. And there's a biblical example of that uh, involving one of the patriarchs, Jacob, uh, and uh, it's very important, and I think you can learn a good lesson here. And so when you go back and study uh, Scripture, what you'll see there is Jacob was a talented young man with great ability, but he had one serious fault. He was a conniver and a schemer. He was always looking to take advantage of situations. All right, And so even though he was one of the great patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, even though he had that, he constantly looked to connive and scheme. Uh, and and there's, we have multiple uh, issues where he did that and see what happens. First of all, he, he took away the birthright from his brother uh, Esau, and he defrauded his father Isaac in doing that. You remember the story where, where at the time where Isaac was an old man and he had lost his sight, he was about to bless uh, Esau, and so... Uh, Jacob decided he would pose, he would pose as if he were Esau. And he, and he would confound the father. And so what did he do? He put on an animal skin. 
that had hair because uh, the brother had hair, hairy skin. And so he goes in there and he puts his skin there so the father can see it. And the father says, oh, yes, this is Esau. I want to give him the blessing, the birthright. And so he took the blessing. He took the blessing that was his brother's and that split the family and caused him great, tremendous suffering and ill. Uh, so that that family, Esau, moved out uh, and went in an entirely different vein in his life. Now, God certainly, and somebody would say, well, didn't, wasn't that God's will that, that Jacob would have, have the uh, blessing? Yes, it was the blessing of God, but not this way. You understand? You're not God. You don't determine the way God does things. All right? You have to bow to the will of God. How do you want me to live, God? What, what methodology do you want to use to bless me? Do I have to defraud my father in order to do that? No. No. And so what happens now to Jacob? What happens to Jacob? Well, here's what happens. Jacob decides he, he, he meets, uh, his wife, uh, and he wants to, he wants to marry her, and he runs into her father-in-law, a guy named Laban. Laban. And so he, Laban says to Jacob, you worked for me for seven years, and I'll give you uh, your wife. Well, he toils. He works for seven years, basically for free. And on his wedding night, in those days, you'd go into your tent, and all would be dark. And in his tent, he would see in the marriage bed, there was a female. He climbs into bed, and guess what? It's not the daughter he wanted. It's the older, uglier daughter. <laughs> Yeah, wow is right. All right, you see what happens? The unseen hand of justice. Do you understand that? Do you see what happens? And so here's what happens. That's how. That's what happens. And so what happens? He has to now work another seven years, 14 years, in order to get the wife that he really wanted because he was a schemer. All right, he was a schemer. You think that would have happened if he had bowed to God's will and lived the way God wanted him to live? And it's not done. It's not done. This is the lesson in your life that, that this goes on and on. God loves us, but yet he punishes us when we don't live this way. I mean, look, this is a hard message to give, but I have to give it. All right. And, and here's, here's another terrible example. How about Joseph, Jacob's son, Joseph? He loved Joseph, right? He loved him dearly. He gave him the coat of many colors, right? And so his other brothers detested, detested that relationship. And so what happens? Uh, when, when they ha had Joseph out there alone, when the brothers were with him, they basically threw him down into a pit. They took his coat. They soaked it in animal blood. They go back and they tell the father, uh, they come back and tell the father, Jacob, to deceive him that Joseph has been killed. He's heartbroken. He's heartbroken where his own sons continue the deception and scheming lifetime paradigm of that lifestyle. That's what they did. And that's the pain that that man suffered. He didn't know for years. He didn't know for years, maybe 30 years that Joseph was alive. Uh, and, and so you see how, how God really restricts us. You're men of God. God has blessed you. He's filled you with the Holy Spirit. He looks at you that he expects you to walk in a certain way. He expects you to live in a certain way. Look, I want you to reflect on something. I want you to think about the way 
Jesus found us before we became Christians. I want you to think about that. I want you to reflect back on your character before you gave yourself up to the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? Think back to those days. Think about how you lived, how you spoke, how you conducted yourself. Think about the moral will of your life. And yet Jesus took you in even in that condition. Jesus didn't save you because you were lovable. He saved you even as you were lost. And so if Christ Jesus could do that for us, if Christ Jesus could elevate us and save us, even when we were outside of the will of God, how much more do we have an obligation to go out into the world to people that are lost and to treat them with the love of Christ? Listen, folks, the only way Jesus is going to come into the lives of many people is when you walk into the room. That's how they're going to hear about Jesus Christ. You will be the walking gospel of Christ Jesus. And that means it is your life. Not your words, but your life. The veritable poster of what Christ has done for you. How will you light up that room? That's what I'm asking you to think of today as we start this new, new year. How will I light up the room, Father? How will I change the paradigm of this world? How will I embrace the lost and the sick and those who are in need? How will I be your hands and feet, Jesus? How do you want me to live in every way? Father, I bow before your throne. I submit my life. I will do what you want. I will be what you want. I will be the man that you want in every possible way. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for the words that you've given us. Lord, I ask you to inspire us this day and this year to live this kind of life, to have the golden rule emblazoned on our foreheads, to walk where you want us to walk, and when we do, to pick up those who are in need and affirm them with love. Father, bless our men, protect them, Lord, and bring them back next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.